You're listening to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast with Ian Tullock and Anthony Petrielli. Welcome to the Maple Leaf Hot Stove Podcast. My name's Anthony Petrielli, and I'm here today with a special guest, Elliot Friedman. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Anthony. How you doing? I'm good, man. When you when you said this week, and as you know, I've been bugging you for months to to hop on, and you're like, maybe this week. I was like, wow, that is certainly a time for you to come on here. Yeah, it's uh, it's really something. There's there's no question about it. Uh, you know, the only unfortunate thing is we're recording this before the media availability with Shanahan, Dubas, and Keith, so you never know how things can change. But uh, I'm uh, I'm happy to come on. Are you are you expecting anything of note out of them? I don't know. Like, um, I, I don't know if you saw my Twitter thread before I came on here, but, um, you know, one of the things I, I was working on yesterday was, um, you know, there was a, there was a report yesterday that, that Marner um, had refused to play a certain area on the power play. And I was intrigued by that. I, you know, I thought that was, you know, interesting if that it, to, to find out if that was actually the case. And, um, you know, I, I, I reached out to him directly. And I got an answer back through an intermediary that that was not that that was not true. And then I didn't realize that there was also a report that he'd gone golfing. And someone said to me, by the way, that one's also not true. I I don't know how I feel about the golfing one, like whatever. (laughs) But I realize it's a it's a really intense time uh, in Toronto right now. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Like in the past, Dubas especially has always come out very strongly in defense of his players. Um, you know, Cody CC last year, um, all of the, all the very, a lot of similar situations. He's always defended his group. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see if that would be, I wouldn't expect it to be any different. Let's see what, what it is though. Yeah. And Marner and Marner also as well, you mentioned CC Marner was the other big one that he was in particular pointed on last year mm-hmm. right like, the, the exact words he used at one point are i really struggle with you know the criticism and, and some of the heat that he faces and i mean to be honest at, at this point it would almost and it's wild because he he was having you know he would have been on pace to have a 100 point season or whatever mm-hmm. it was but the playoffs are what the playoffs are and it would be almost it would it would be very difficult to come out in front of this market with a straight face and just say like defend him to no end, I think. And for people to take it seriously. You know, I, I think Anthony, like, whenever I, whenever I speak to young people who are going into broadcasting, you know, I, one of the things I talk about is the rewards are high, but the risks are high too. Right. And I think the same thing applies to the star players or the highest paid players on a hockey team, like the Toronto Maple Leafs, the rewards are high, but the risks are high when things go well, you know, Wendell Clark used to tell guys who got traded to the Maple Leafs, you're never as good as they say you are. And you're never as bad as they say you are. And, you know, I think that's for star players. When things go well, you, you get a ton of credit. When things go poorly, you take most of the blame. That's just the way it goes. That's, that's the deal you make when you're one of the best players and you're one of the highest paid players. And, you know, I, I think that when I speak to young kids going into journalism right now or, or broadcasting or media or whatever, I say, if you choose to be in front of the camera, and I always tell them if you want to, to go for it. You know, when things go well, you get the praise. But when things go badly, it's on you. And, you know, I'm an example of that. When I made the mistake in, in Rio, you know, that's my fault. I had some people who said to me, well, it was 20 seconds and it's, it, the producer was at fault. And I'm like, no. It's like the producer didn't get the lanes mixed up. I got the lanes mixed up. So I, I think there's a certain understanding if you're Mitch Marner and, and his family and, and the people around him um, that you have to understand that that is the deal you made. The one thing I really think is the case in, in this situation, though, is that I, I do think I thought this year the, the contract stuff was all behind us. But whenever it goes poorly in the playoffs, like it did this year, all of that stuff it's like how rain brings the worms to the surface, right, Anthony? Like the, the playoff loss has brought all the worms to the surface. Like everybody's remembering now. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's life. I, I say, you know, you can complain about it. You can whine about it. You can do all of that stuff. But the fact is, um, it's, it's life. It's just the way it is. You accept the risks and you accept the rewards. 
So part of that too, which I've, I found really interesting and, and what you mentioned about the power play is going to lead me to a question here, but just quickly before then, uh, you know, there's so much talk. Nylander had a pretty good playoff series. I actually thought he was really good for most of it. Yeah. And, and, you know, now the talk is, you know, get rid of Marner Nylander looks so good. And, and, you know, while you can definitely see some, like where some of that logic and whatnot's coming from, it's also pretty pretty easy to forget like Marner's been a 90 100 point player essentially for multiple years now while William Nylander's been a 60 70 point player like we're talking a potential gap here of 40 points I mean that's that's a significant difference in production mm-hmm. be- between the two so it's you know this is when mistakes are made this is when you know knee-jerk reactions are made you can't just shift a 40 point difference and call it a day. And I understand how, you know, net aggregates work and I understand building, you know, higher quality depth and none of that stuff is lost on me by any means whatsoever, but you can't just look at seven games and say, okay, here's the path forward. But what do you do? Like what's next? Like what, what's next here? You know, the, the funniest thing about everything that you're, you know, I was born in 1970. I'm surrounded by like a lot, like I, I grew up a Blackhawks fan. I think most people now know that, but I'm surrounded by people who are Leaf fans. And one of them called me on uh, on Tuesday morning and he's like, I can't even be mad at Nylander anymore. Like he played so well. <laughs> so who could I be mad at? And, uh, you know, the, the thing is, is that I, I agree with you. The idea of trading Marner is crazy. How are you going to win that trade? How on earth are you going to win that trade? Um, you know, there's some people who talk about, you know, trade him for Seth Jones. Well, first of all, you've got to want believe that Seth Jones, does he want to play long-term in Toronto? Like, I'm not convinced of that. Number two, you are giving up, uh, I think, three or four years in age. Um you know, that's another thing, too. How do you feel about that? Like Seth Jones, a phenomenal player. But the number one question is, does he want to play long term in Toronto? But how many guys are you going to trade Mitch Marner for that you're going to win the trade? And and even if they did, and we'll just we'll stick with the Seth Jones comparison. And, you know, I know that there's some mixed feelings on on how good he may or may not be. But if you're trading Mitch Marner for him, I mean, he has all the leverage in the world. Like he's getting a big deal. So you're basically yeah. you're back you know, where it's positioned is a little bit different on the lineup, right? You now have committed a significant dollar amount to a defender as opposed to mm-hmm. the right winger on the first line, but you're still faced with the general same cap ep- economic problems here of a number of players on massive contracts and then still trying to fill out the roster around them, regardless of whether it's a first pairing defenseman or first parent or first line forward. Like it, like, I don't know how much that really shakes up. So yeah. You know, but the leverage point is a good point. There's there's no question about that. Like, again, I think the whole thing about trading Marner is insane. I think you have to work with him. I think you, like, the bottom line is he's he didn't look, like, the way, like, to me, there's two stories. The way he played and the way he looked. The way he played, he wasn't good enough. Bottom line. Yeah. The way he looked was very revealing to me. He was crushed not because he doesn't care, but because he cares. Like one of the big debates I understand that's going on right now, like during the class, I really try to shield my uh, reading of stuff. Um, I really do. I I think you have to really focus on the playoffs. We're on every night. A lot of is expected of us from our work and the viewers, and you have to try to deliver. There's no question. So I don't, but someone told me there's a big debate over Edmonton, you know, what do you pay nurse? Like, you know, he's probably going to ask eight times eight and they're probably going to give him that or something close to that. And I think you have to do it. Like to me, that's a guy, you know, Edmonton, they have trouble getting guys to come there. And here's a guy who's drafted an oiler clearly cares a lot about being an oiler. And that to me is not insignificant. If you let Darnell Nurse go, you're going to lose a guy who clearly cares a lot about his teammates in the organization. And there's no guarantee that the person you get is going to have the attachment to Edmonton that Darnell Nurse does. As a matter of fact, it's almost 100% likely that there will be less. I feel that way about Marner. Um, you know, he, he wants to be a Leaf. He wants to be successful as a Leaf. 
I think what he has to work on in conjunction with the team is just what he pays attention to and how he attacks the games mentally. You know, we're all talking about mental health in this day and age. How do you improve his mental health and strength at this time of year? Um, like it's a skill. It's, it's, it's something you work on. And I think that's what they should be committed to. And, you know, just because he's struggling at 24, you know, like I always say this, you know, I'm 50 now. I look at myself at that age and I realize what a stupid moron I was. <laughs> Eventually you mature a bit and you figure things out. He's going to figure things out. Do you want him to figure it out as a Maple Leaf or somewhere else? And I know, I know a few years ago, we were both at the hockey coaches conference here when it was hosted at Ryerson and, and Mike Gillis was there. And I know that that was a struggle that they had with Roberto Luongo, yep. right? How do we get this guy going for, for big games? I think the crux of everything to me is, and, and I love that you have such a, a, a good knowledge of a long time of hockey to me this year was 2003 Ottawa Senators. So if you remember going, you know, the few years before, Ottawa lost to the Leafs three years in a row. And that year they didn't play the Leafs and they were able to get to the conference finals, right? In part, one might argue because they avoided the Leaf matchup, just the team that was totally in their head. And, you know, the the path was there this year. I think that's the most crushing thing for everybody. It's they look and go, like, how could you not do it this year? I mean, however which way you want to cut it, I think it would be hard to argue that Montreal is just a straight-up better team than the Leafs. And and you're still losing that series. And then next year, you're going to go back into a division with Tampa, Boston, and even Florida, who looks excellent. Yeah. It's, it's like, what's the path forward? Like, how do you get over the hump? You know, I, I think... First of all, I think all of what you said there is true, Anthony. I think there that leads there's an extra level of disappointment and frustration because of the path this year and the fact they played well in the regular season. If they, you know, they really had out of 56 games, you know, they were really good for 50 of them, and they had one stretch where they weren't very good. And it's like one of my friends was the same buddy who was saying, "Well, I can't rip Nylander anymore because he was really good." Uh, he was saying that. You know, I, I think back to those games against Edmonton, those three games where they gave up one goal, and it's like, I, I don't understand how we got from there to here. Um, you know, what I think is going to happen is, look, they're going to look for another goalie with Campbell. You know, the question is, do they – when they go out and look, are they going to say, we want someone to play 30 games or we want someone to compete for the number one job? That's a question. Um, I would think that I think the, the other big question is going to be what's Riley's future. Is he getting extended at like, there's two guys right now who are like that. There's Hyman and there's Riley Hyman's, but, and Riley in a lot of ways is now too, in the sense that I'm sure he's going to want to know what's my future here. And, you know, Hyman and Riley are going to have to decide do they want to take market value or do they want to take a little bit less to stay? And both of those guys are going to have to make a choice. And so that's a big one. You know, to me, Anthony, I will say this. And I say it all the time. I always bet on talent. I always bet on talent. And they're going to have to, like last year, they told some players, we've got somewhere between a million and a half and 700,000 to come play here on our team. And some guys took it and it went well. Uh, Spezza again, um, you know, I, I thought Wayne Simmons, although he didn't have a great playoff, I, I thought he did very well in the regular season. I thought Thornton did very well in the regular season, obviously not in the playoffs. Um, you know, Vasey didn't work. Like they're, they're going to have to do that again. Um, and the other thing too is I, I think they're going to take a shot at having Nick Robertson make the team, but the question is where are your value adds going to be? How are you going to like this cap is going nowhere or very little, maybe up a million for the next four or five years. So who are the value adds that you're going to get who are going to want to play? here? So all of those things are, are very nice, but I think the, I think the, 
we really have to look at the top a little bit. And and with that, I say, like, just first off, like, is everybody safe? I mean, what's ownership? If do you have any indication of what ownership feels? Because at some to me, this now is in the ownership conversation. Like yes. at some point, like it's it's beyond Brendan Shanahan now. It's like, guys, we've lost in the first round five years in a row. Like what's going on? Um, I think that that is a question. I think you have to look at their history, right? And ownership's history was they were very patient with the Raptors. And, and then finally they said, you know, we're going to do something bold here to change our mix. So my question about ownership, and I don't really have a good answer on this yet, I hope to, is do they say, look, this is what the Raptors did and you've got to do it too. Do something bold. Try, time to try, try something different. But, you know, Ownership had a lot of faith in Ujiri to make his calls. You know, Larry Tannenbaum, the, the, who has 37% of the team, um, he, he's a big believer in not interfering. He really believes in being patient, letting people do their jobs. And I th- he only sees firing as a last resort. And if you take a look at his decisions, they haven't had a lot of change. And I remember like the one biggest change they made in a lot of ways was Burke. And he didn't want to do that. That was one where Bell and Rogers outflanked them and said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, you're, you're going to have to do this. By the way, I said he owns 37%. He owns 25 I was going to say, is it 25 and the yeah. other two own 37 Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, he was outflanked on that one. And um, I, I just think they're going to say to if Brendan backs Dubas, and I believe he will, uh, then I think they're going to say, OK, we support that. But this is what the Raptors did. And we want you to consider the same things. And at the and at the same token, I mean, I have to ask, I, I can't imagine. And, and well, I have some things that I'll need to to get off my chest on it and in a little bit here. But I don't, I don't imagine that Kyle Dubas has another head coach firing in him. You know, I, I just, you know, I think the other thing too is that this is his guy, yeah, right? Like you just, like, like, you know, again, like I understand that, you know, some people are saying, do you go get Tortorella? Do you go get, you know, and, and like I think Tor- Tortorella is a hell of a coach, but the thing is, isn't that what you just came away from, right? A hard driving, hard pushing person. That was a year and a half ago. The other thing too is Keith isn't exactly touchy feely. I know yeah. he doesn't show it as much in public, but he's got a real edge to him. And yeah, I like, I think anytime you fire a coach a year and a half after you hire them, it's a real admission of organizational failure. So I think, I think part of, and I, I agree a hundred percent. I think, where a lot of the frustration comes from. And this circles back to the very first thing you were mentioning about looking into Mitch Marner on the power play. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of questions that fans have on this is like, who's running the show here? Because honestly, you watch the way Matthews and Marner are played. It, it's, it's outrageous. I mean, they were attached to the hip all season. They basically got as much ice time as their hearts desired even when they struggled at no point did they split them up. If other guys were struggling, you know, and it would be very clear be like, why don't you just put Marner with Tavares for a few games and get them rolling again. And they just, they absolutely refuse to. And so I think, you know, the power play note that you mentioned looking into is a bit of a microcosm to me of, it seems like these guys are basically calling the shots. Um, it might be like, I've like, I, like, that's why I thought that story was so interesting. Um, um, I, you know, I, I think it's really like, I got to tell you, like, it's funny how this business works sometimes. <laughs> um, when things go badly, you hear a lot of things and it's like, you're almost chasing your tail, trying to chase them down. Right. And, um, like, I, I'm sure like, like the, the thing is like, there's often nuance in all this stuff. Like it doesn't mean, you know, something there's always shades of black and white. 
And sometimes we lose out on the shades of black and white, right? Like there's right and there's wrong. And there's usually something in the middle. Um, you know, like I wouldn't be surprised if this whole power play thing is like, maybe Marner said, I'm more comfortable here. I prefer to play there, but you know, based on interpretation, it's, I mean, I don't know, but like that, yeah. I've seen stuff like that before. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, I just look, those guys have a lot of power. They do, but, and I did wonder in, in game seven, would they try and split them up as Marner was so obviously struggling, but you know, there's no question like they didn't lose because Tavares got hurt. They didn't, they lost cause they lost, but there's no question that Tavares injury robbed them of a lot of flexibility and Montreal clearly felt if it handled that one line, they would be in really good position in the series. Um, especially as game seven continued, look, they, you know, like this, this is a league that is changing. It used to be a league where players didn't have a lot of power and players are learning to wield their power more than ever. But I think that's where, that's where you have to say, look, like you've got to be forceful and say, look, you've, you've got to be willing to try new things. Like, you know, like in, in my job, I have people who come to me and say, Elliot, we're doing this. And I don't always agree, but I'm, but, and sometimes I do voice uh, and say, but most of the time I'm like, all right, let's, let's see where it goes. You don't know until you try and everybody has to be flexible. Yeah, the the tough thing is with with quite a bit of it. I mean, some of the stuff was just a little bit head scratching on it. Like, okay, if the power play sucked for a playoff series, it happens. But I mean, since April, they basically were scored on as much as they scored. And some mm -hmm. of the roles and stuff were cemented, right? Like like Joe Thornton didn't move. That would be another one where it it's to the point where it's so bad for so long and it's so confusing seeing the same thing trotted out night after night where you're like, were promises made here? Because that's what it felt like. That felt like the only explanation that you could basically go with. Well, I think it's, I think it's fair to say that, um, I, I think it's fair to, like, I, I think it's fair to ask those questions. Um, like, I, I don't have any, like, to me, I don't have any problem with anybody asking the question, were things promised? You know, if things were promised and they weren't, and they never changed. That's a problem. Like you have to, but the thing is, the problem is you have to ask the question or you have to try to do the research to understand if that's true. And because I do believe one of the greatest things about coaching or one of the most important things about coaching is, okay, I know I promised this, but it's not working. And it, this is a kind of an old, like I remember Gary Roberts, when he came to Toronto, one of the issues he had was, he, he said, he said, will I be guaranteed to play with Matt Sundin? And they told him, yes, you will play with Matt Sundin. And they switched it eventually, not because it wasn't working, but it was because it was better for the team. And Roberts and Quinn went through a phase where they had to balance that out, where Roberts was like, hey, you made me this promise and we're not playing badly. And Quinn was like, I know I made the promise. We made the promise, but we're better for this. And eventually they got to a, they got to a place where they both could live with it. Quinn deferred at times and other times Roberts just said, yeah, I know you need this tonight and we'll do it. That's what you have to do. I don't like, you know, it's like, it's like the old line, Anthony, nothing given. If some, like I was surprised Nylander wasn't on the first unit, especially as the playoffs continued I was, I was happy to see that Muzzin scored two goals being put with the second unit. It was a king, as I mentioned on one of the pregame shows, a Kings player had texted me about it saying, look at Muzzin's stats in LA on the power play. I think he had 17 goals and 65 points during his time there. You know, maybe they were too stubborn. Maybe they, I mean, these are the reasons we're going to ask all these questions, right? Like what happened with the power play? Yeah. And, and some of those other things, like it's really, it's really hard for, um, for I think, I think of... also this year, I, I think also this year, um, it was, it was a little hard. Like 
the, the thing is Toronto's really tight about who, who they give access to. And there's, you know, there's, there's certain paranoia around some of their people in the organization, which I understand because Dubis and Shanahan are guys who hate leakers and they want to take leakers and lock them up with in a box and throw them to the bottom of the sea. People are very careful what they say to you. And that's extremely more challenging this year when you're not there where you can't, you know, kind of run into someone or pull someone aside and ask something. I so I think, it, I, I think it, I think it is a little bit more challenging this year, but now when seasons like this happen, I assume all this stuff, is going to come to the surface because myself and others, we're going to try to find out. Yeah. And I mean, if you told me at the beginning of the year, if you said Joe Thornton's going to play in every game, I wouldn't have believed you. If you basically said he was going to play in every game and on the top power play unit pretty much all the time, I wouldn't well, have believed Well, they, d- they did tell Thornton that he was going to play with Marner and Matthews, right? And he did for a while, but eventually that changed. Like, I think people understand change. You know, I would wonder with the power play if it was simply that it was so good and those guys were so talented that they really thought it would eventually work. But, you know, like, I mean, look, I saw the same thing you guys did. There was a real lack of shooting options and it kind of caught up to them until Muzzin showed up. And even Sandine had one big goal bombed from the point in the playoffs. Yeah. And the other thing too, is like, honestly, if you told me going into the season, if you said they're going to lose in the first round again, I would say to you, somebody's getting fired. Like going into the season, I would have told you that. But to me, what I've struggled with is I don't really think this one is on Kyle Dubas. Like I would be the first one to admit it. I would, you know, stand from the mountaintop and, and proclaim it. But who was going into this playoff series being, I know everybody's getting mocked for all their predictions, all the sports net guys picked. Yeah, that's life. Right. But like whatever, no one was going in and being like, yeah, the Leafs are actually like, they should have been straight up good enough to beat them. Like you watch what, you know, people are talking about Colorado and Tampa, Nathan McKinnon and Nikita Kucherov are being superstars in the playoffs. Like Matthews and Marner were, you know, not doing what those guys are doing against potentially one of the weakest teams in the playoffs i would argue at the end of the day people can talk about the depth and changing the pieces around them all they want but at the end of the day these these teams are going places because their stars are being stars yeah and the leaf stars simply haven't been yeah you know and, and i think but the thing is i think that's all fair I, I think it comes down to what's your philosophy Anthony? do you bet on them or not and yeah you know i i would bet on them i mean you know, I, I, I think at the, like there, there's all these arguments about who's paid what and, and how much of the cap. And I think that's all fair. I think at the end of the day, the question you're asking yourself is, are you betting on them? Are you betting on them? And my, que- my answer is yes. I mean, look, I, I've said this a lot. Those Tampa guys were all written off after they lost to Columbus. Yeah. Those, I mean, how many times has Ovechkin written off? The thing I'm struggling with those comparisons with is like, okay, so Tampa went to the Eastern Conference Finals and yes, lost they, to the they, Bruins and They seven. had one. They had one. They, like, I, I totally, I, again, I, I think that's a very fair comparison. The bottom line is, do you bet on the talent you have? Are, like, are you betting on? Now, I actually think the biggest difference is um, they don't, they're not, like all those guys were signed long-term. Ovechkin had a 13-year deal. Backstrom had a 10-year deal. Stamkos, Hedman, Kucherov, Vasilevsky, they're all signed for eight years. Even Crosby and Malkin, when they were going through that phase from 2010 to 15, those guys were signed for a long time. Um, I, I think that that to me is Toronto's biggest issue is Tavares is the only guy who's not getting a big deal at the end of this. Yeah, and part of it too, and this sounds kind of wild because Washington won the cup, but so Ovechkin's 13-year contract just expired. Like they went past round two once in 13 years. And I'm not saying it's at the feet of him, but if you're like, you have Austin Matthews for 13 years, you go past round two once, you may or may not win the cup in that one time, but is that good enough? And I would say no. Like that's that's just, it's straight up not good enough. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody is going to d- disagree with you. So no, nobody's going to nobody's going to disagree 
So the overall next steps are essentially going to be, they're going to double down on the skill guys. Nobody's going to get fired. And then if it doesn't work out yet again in a tougher division, I like everybody's going to get fired. Maybe. Like I, that's essentially the path forward. Like they won't even remotely and, you know, Morgan Riley aside as a, a quote unquote core guy, they probably won't consider moving like any of the top guys. They're going to say, we're probably gonna have to work through it. I, 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 I that's, you know what? I, I will say this. If they're going to, if they're going to move any of the top guys, I don't think they're going to tell us right now. Like, Which like, I'll, like, like I'll tell you last weekend when it got out that um, Jones wants to be traded or sorry, I shouldn't say that. That's not right. When it got out that Jones had told Columbus he wasn't going to sign, like there were some people who were really angry at me and you know, that's fine. That's like I said, we know the risks, we know the rewards, right? Cause I think it affects your plans. Like now, now the way Columbus is going to attack the situation probably changes. Now I don't think there was any way that was going to stay private long-term too many people knew, but it changes, it changes what you can do. Right. So, you know, I, I say, I will say this, let's just say Toronto decides to move one of those guys. We're not going to hear about it until they're on the path. Like it has to happen at the draft. I would like, I don't know how you would build a team heading into free agency. Like if it's going to happen, it has to happen then. I mean, around then, around then. Yes. Or, you know, someone, or, or you still do your work and you do it in conjunction and free agency, knowing you're getting someone else. Right. Like, is there, is there any sort of look and saying, I mean, they have three draft picks. They don't have a first round pick. Yep. Like, are they looking now and going, we need to kind of reconcile here? And- well, the one thing I know is they really do believe they have good prospects, right? Like, you yeah. know, like Sandine, Sandine's going to play. Sandine, Robertson, and Amarov were like untouchable around this time. Um, I think I'd written Lilligren, and then someone said to me that Lilligren was not untouchable, but they still believe that he's, you know, someone they want to eventually give a chance to. So they, they do think they have prospects. Also, you know, they, they are pretty good at going, like if they want to dip into Russia, like the whole thing this year with Barabanov and Lekanen, um, it didn't work. But I think one of the reasons it didn't work was they didn't have exhibition games or uh, a, a training camp, right? Like those guys didn't have a chance because of that. And at least at the end of the year, Barabanov did look like there's something there, right? So they, they, they feel they can go get people. I do think they're going to try to add some picks here and there. Um, you know, put it this way. I think everything's going to be on the table. Like you asked me at the beginning of this, what do I think they're going to say publicly? I don't think they're going to give us very much. But privately, I think they're going to be asking a ton of hard questions. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say on that, and then I have a quick question, relief-related, but a little bit later down the line, uh, and then we can wrap up. But I can't imagine that they fire assistant. Everyone's like, you know, fire Manny. He ran the power play. The power play was bad for months on end. I just, they already did that. Like, this was like, he's a new coach. They, they just hired him. Like, they're just going to fire another assistant coach and bring in a new one and call it a day. Like, it just seems like shuffling deck chairs almost, I, you know? Like, how are you going to just fire assistant coach again? Yeah, again, again, Anthony, like, I'm curious to see what they're going to say today. I, I really am. I, but I, I really do believe that they're going to ask themselves a lot of hard questions. Like, there's nobody in the organization who isn't under some degree of heat. Yeah, which is, like I said, the, the crazy thing is it sets the table now, right? Because it's not life is only harder now. Like they're good. They're, they're going to be in a harder division again. They're, they're actually going to play elite teams. I mean, this was the softball. This was, this was 2003 Ottawa. This was, you, you've escaped Boston and Tampa for a year and you didn't make good on it. And this is about as angry as I've seen the fan base. Like when they suck. I understand I, because yeah. they played so well. Like, yeah. Like that, that's, that's what this is all about. Like they played really well this year. So that makes it like if they had, if they had, if they had tripped into the playoffs in fourth place, I, I think the fans would be mad for a different reason. Cause all this talent, you know, they, they stunk all year. Right. But they looked at the way they played in the regular season and they, you know, like they, they, yeah. they get your hearts up. <laughs> that's, that's the yeah. other problem. And they didn't even truly get goalied. Like you talk about Washington, 
Halak straight up goalied them. I mean, that, like, I got was... I got to tell you, as, as that series went on, you know, Price he was very good. He was really I, good. He was very very good. I I don't want to take anything away from him, but I wasn't looking going. This guy's stealing the show, and the Leafs are, you know, controlling play and whatnot. I mean, the first forty of Game Six, the Leafs got ran over. Mm-hmm. After the first period yeah, of Game Seven, great. yeah, yeah, right. The first period of Game Seven was basically even, and I'm like. And I'm celebrating it as a fan in my heart that it's zero zero after one. I'm like, why am I celebrating zero zero at home game <laughs> seven for a team that had 18 points less than you in the regular season? Like, that's just like, it's not even going to compute. But I think, I think the other thing too is, is that um, I think the other thing too is, is that there has to be a realization by the organization and the players about how much the game changes in the postseason. Yeah. And I think one of Dubas's things is that, he really wants to win a certain way, which I like. I, I but can you really win that way? And you know, people blame the refereeing, sure, but I think it's more about the players. I, I like the players, their yeah. commitment to detail, the things that they're willing to do to win games. It's greater than ever. Like anybody who says there isn't a big difference between the way that players play the regular season and the playoffs are lot. kidding, kidding yeah. themselves, and they don't factor it enough into the equation. On that note, quickly, because I meant to ask this, is there any chance Nick Felino's back? Because honestly, the Leafs didn't get the bang for the buck, obviously, but he was hurt and he is a good player. Is there any, is that just, is this going to be just a quick one-off? They traded a first for basically nothing. And like, that's that. I, I don't know. Like the thing is, you know, what's again, it's going to come down to what's he going to sign for? I, I, to be honest, to be honest, I think a lot of his thoughts he was either going to uh, Columbus or Minnesota, back to Columbus or to Minnesota to play with his brother. brother. Yeah. So, and also like in Toronto, where is he going to play? Hmm. Like, like he might be a little. I want to be on one of the top two lines with one of the studs. Yeah, and it might, and, and it won't necessarily. Like, if you're going to play Robertson next year, I think you have to put him in a place where he can use his talents, right? Yeah, it's a waste of time to play. Yeah. They had him on the fourth line a few times, and it was like he's but passing it, the puck to Pierre Engvall. Yeah, in this day, in this day and age, you can do that a bit more. But I think if you really want to see what the kid can do, you put him with some of the top guys. Yeah, so he would have to buy in on a third or fourth line role to come back, and that might not be in his wheelhouse. So yeah. that's an interesting thing. I'll uh, I'll let you uh, I'll let you get going here shortly then because I, I know we fit our time. But one thing I've always wanted to ask you, and I know it was one of the first things I mentioned to you when I started bugging you to come on. Mm-hmm. You were you were in the dressing rooms and the fam- infamous years ago now. Many Leaf fans forget Daniel Alfredson hits Darcy Tucker from behind. Oh scores yeah, the game winner. To me, Pat Quinn has one of the better press conferences I've seen from a coach given the situation after the, quite frankly, I'm full of anger Mm -hmm. one with the little comment against Alfredson being that kind of player that does that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. The Leafs already have Sundin out now Tucker's out. They're down three, two in the series and they're heading back to Ottawa Mm -hmm. and they come back and win the series. Mm -hmm. I mean, what was that whole thing like? behind the scenes that was the one where um that was the one where alfredson hit domi or pearson hit domi into the boards and he bled right and alfredson said that hard head actually bled yeah like that whole series was just wild i couldn't even imagine that series on twitter first of all oh no the hate was real the hate was really real between those teams they really really and and a lot of that was quinn in the sense that Quinn was excellent at making you hate your opponent. Like everyone thinks everyone hates the Maple Leafs. It's us against the world. These guys are a bunch of like, like the referees are against us. The league is against us. He hated the refs traditionally. Yeah, I know. But he like, like the, the Quinn's best ability was, and the players used to talk about this, when he was finished talking to you, you would run through a wall to kill whoever it was that you were playing against. And he had a great mentality for us against the world. And so those Leafs players, they hated Ottawa. And Quinn would always say, like, those guys, like, he, like, he convinced the Maple Leafs that if they physically lost a battle to Ottawa, they were a bunch of wimps. 
Like you said, there's no acceptable reason for you guys to lose a puck battle to any member of the Ottawa Senators. Which was true. <laughs> and, and that's what he convinced them. So they ran over them. And the Ottawa players, like the, the ownership, that was even before Melnick, but they hated Toronto. Like they always hated Toronto. John Muckler. The, the owners hated Toronto. The, the management hated Toronto. And so the whole organization um, hated Toronto, like just despised them. And um, it was like it and the fans got into it and, you know, the Leaf fans would take up the rink in Ottawa when they played there. And like there was a lot of hate like that was legit hate. Yeah. That yeah, was legit too- hate. And and I guess he must have Quinn must have just drummed it up in them down three two like we're missing Mats now we're missing Tucker we're down and out well they're, he's like, in us. they're trying to cheat us right they can't beat us they can't beat us fairly so they're and, and he would say like he would also say like you know like people are gonna he would say things like we're gonna let even with these guys injured you're gonna get beaten by a soft team. And guys would go crazy. Like they, they would go nuts. I mean, the worst thing you can call an athlete male or female is soft. It's the worst. Like, you know, Anthony, there's two times people I work with have really come at me about stuff I've said on the air. And one is when I question injuries, they say you should never question injuries, never. And, and, you know, the former player, like the former players I work with, they're really respectful. I, I, like, I, I love dealing with them. They look at it as their, uh, responsibility to help teach me about the game and, and help me see things and maybe I don't see and they're they're great at giving ideas and they've all but the two times they got mad at me is questioning injuries and calling people soft. They said you do not understand how much that makes us crazy. And Wait. and like and that's what Quinn would do. He would press that button. Are you guys soft that you're gonna lose to Ottawa? Which is wild because I mean you look at the the mental edge that he was building and then you look at essentially the team now i mean they looked scared i mean there's they did the the top well other than nylander who i don't think anything bothers him whatsoever in this world i i they, do they i think I, I i've heard a bit about nylander like i think he is very aware of what's say, said about him you know it, you know what's interesting is i i think that the montreal players gained some respect for nylander because he played hard and, and they realized how even more how dangerous he is about taking pucks off you if you don't see him. But I still think they feel he will avoid hits. Yeah, and he, he did run over Jake Evans in game seven, which was, yeah. which was yeah, nice. But, but, like they, but they generally they still feel like he will try to avoid hits. Like the one penalty he took in Montreal on the goaltending interference, I yeah. think someone was lining up to clobber him and he avoided it and he ran over Price. <laughs> so like like they were I heard some of the players were talking about that particular play. But again, like I, I do think Nylander gets bothered. I, I I think he's got this, he reminds me a lot of another Swede, Sundin. Like just because they don't look like they want to kill people like Mark Messier did, it doesn't, doesn't mean they mean, don't care. Doesn't mean they don't care. And they do get bothered by what happens. If I if I could take anything from the Quinn comparison to essentially what's gonna happen the next 82 games is they, they got to figure out a way to kind of drum it up where they're like, nobody believes in us. Because, like, honestly, I mean, straight up, cards on the table. Matthews could score 70 next year. Nobody will care. Yeah, the whole regular it, season know, isn't going to matter. It, it just won't matter. I, I couldn't think of a more pointless 82 games for the Toronto Maple Leafs coming up. It will, it will literally not matter one bit what they do unless they straight up don't make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, you know, what are you going to do in the playoffs? That's all anyone's going to ask. What will happen come playoff time? So they've got a wild, wild road ahead of them. It sounds like essentially everybody's going to be safe and they're going to have to figure it out. You know, other than the pieces around the core, other than maybe Morgan Riley. Mm-hmm. And then, and then that, will, that will essentially be that. And then one little bonus question, and then you can get going here. By the way, Marner, Marner just said it's a complete lie about the power play thing. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't expect anything less from him on that, but... It's a, it's, you know, it's, it's a tough one because, uh, you know, like, like I've been in this position before. And the one thing I don't like is when media, like someone reports something and then someone else just attacks them. Like we can be a really yeah. jealous business that way. And I don't like contributing to that. It's a tough one though. Like I know there's, there's stuff I've put out there before and I know like I'm going to get it. 
because it's yeah. just controversial or it's information that people don't want out. And Anthony, generally, I'm, I'm pretty good at keeping my fights out of the public, which I prefer uh, if I can. Um, but like Marner has to defend himself against that one. There's no way you can't. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, you know, I know everybody's bummed on these guys, myself included, but there is a part of me that would love to see them work their way out of it. I mean, that would be ultimately the best story for them and for honestly the entire league, like the league misses something. And I know we're all in a leaf world here in Toronto, but the league does miss something when these guys aren't in the playoffs, mm-hmm. it, like the, the ratings will, will not withstand it. So last thing, just, I, I don't then, know anything about that. Yeah. You know what? Like I got to tell you at the end of the day, Montreal and Winnipeg deserve it. And I'm looking forward to the series. Like I, yeah, I really am. Absolutely. And you know what? I think we'll do well. I think we'll have good numbers. Will we have the same numbers as Toronto? No, no. But like the thing is like, you can't have, like, like you know, we've unfortunately, like, you're not going to, like, the Knicks have been terrible in the NBA for a long time. You're not getting Lakers-Knicks every year. So what are you doing to make the best possible show? And that's the, you always have to prepare as if 10 billion people are watching them and you're going to try to give them the best possible show. And that's the only way I look at it. Now, last thing I'll leave you on. I thought this was so interesting when you said it in a broadcast probably like a month ago now, but you said the Leafs felt their best chance to win the cup was 2001 team, not yes. the 2014. That shocked me. Um, I like Pat Quinn. Like, uh, so I think I've told this story before. And I think I told this story with, uh, with Tucker. So I used to get my hair cut at the same place where Darcy Tucker's wife did. And <laughs> so in 2001, this is, a, this is a good story was, so 2001, after the Stanley Cup final, which was Colorado, New Jersey, I went into that place to get my haircut, and Tucker was sitting there waiting for his wife, uh, Shannon, to finish her haircut. And, like, he didn't want to see me, and I probably didn't <laughs> want to see him. I really like Tucker. We get along pretty well. But, you know, he, he was prickly. He, uh, he yeah. used to get ripped by the media here and there. He, he was kind of wary of he's us. He's combative. Uh, but, you know, he's a really, like, just as a human being, he's a, he's a good human. Um, so... I saw him and, you know, I just said, you know, did you watch the final at all as an icebreaker? And he's like, no, I I could never watch that. We would have won the cup if we beat Jersey. And I I probably didn't answer this as well as I could. I was like, really? And he said, he he said, yeah, you know, like I really thought this was our best chance. And, um, you know, like I, like Pittsburgh went to the Eastern conference final that year, they lost to Jersey and it wasn't a great Pittsburgh team. And I do think Toronto could have beaten them. But there was no way I thought that they were going to beat the Avalanche with. Now that was the year Forsberg was injured and missed the final, but yeah, I I still don't think they would have beaten them. And he completely like we got into an argument in like the waiting area of the salon. Like people were looking at us. It was pretty funny. And um, you know, I asked him a few years later if he still believed that. Actually, no, I that's not correct. I I actually years later I asked Quinn about that. I, I told him about this conversation and he actually said he agreed. He said that that 01 team, even though they made the playoffs in the second last day of the season, he always thought they were battle tested and they were deep and they were good. And, you know, you remember they're up three, two in that series, of the devils the year after they had that six shot game. Yeah. And, and, you know, they, the Domi got suspended. They really believed that was a huge factor. They were up at home in game six and, you know, New Jersey won and they were up one nothing in game seven. And then New Jersey scored five goals in a row. And Quinn did say he thought that was the team. And he thought, too, he says, look, he was very complimentary of Colorado. He said, look, I think we beat Pittsburgh and I think we at least get the chance. And he said, of all the years, I thought that was our best chance to get to the final because we unraveled against New Jersey. And I think we would have beaten Pittsburgh. So Quinn felt the same way. And I asked Tucker later and he said he still feels that way. That's fair. And I could get that. Like, you know, you're thinking, okay, if we're getting there, I mean, anything could happen by the time we get there. And that was probably their best chance to get there. Yeah. Although like, I still remember like arguing with Tucker in the, in the salon. It's uh, the salon was called Taz. It's in Yorkville. And uh, Oh my God, it was so funny. Like I remember like Tucker's wife, Shannon, she was looking over a couple of times. Like, am I going to have to intervene here? It was, <laughs> it was really, it was really yeah. funny. Should she be mad at you or should she be mad at Darcy or she just mad at everybody for causing you, a scene? You, you always side with your partner, right? You should be mad <laughs> at me. Yeah. Well, 
Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate your time. You've been great today. I, I've kind of come away with this thinking we're going to kind of basically see the same core pieces I, back. I, I, that's what I think, but I wouldn't be surprised if I'm wrong. Like I, I wouldn't like, you know, like I said, you asked me about the organization. You're going to leave the, me on a cliffhanger like that. Yeah, I think the organization will push them to be bold. I just don't know what that move is yet. It just doesn't seem, it doesn't at this time appear that there's a potential bold move on the table. Like it would really have to come out of nowhere. I disagree with you on that. You just need time to figure out what's out there, right? Like now you're talking to other teams. What are they thinking? What are you thinking? There, there's time. Like, you know, I, I was looking into Chara and, and someone said to me, don't, for, don't forget the calendar says June in hockey time. We're in May. You know, yeah. we're, st we're still almost two months away from the draft and the expansion draft. There's time. It just doesn't, other than the Seth Jones news, it hasn't seemed like anybody of note otherwise has really potentially shaken loose. But yeah, to your point, there's a ton of time for those kinds of players to shake loose and open the door for those kinds of conversations. At this point, it seems like Seth Jones, but you're right. We probably have a few months to go here of wild, wild speculation <laughs> leading up to what could be a, a quite drastic draft. So uh, thank you again and uh, good luck with the rest of the playoff coverage coming up. All right. Thanks very much, Anthony, and uh, continued success. I know we started conversing uh, a little bit this year. So uh, I, I just want to say, like, you put in the effort and, uh, you know, people like I want to tell everybody, every young or older, like if you're a user <laughs> like me or a young guy like Anthony, like every young person out there who listens to this interview, um, like if you do good work, people notice. You may not think it, but people do. So do your best. Do what you like to do. Be yourself. Be your personality. Don't be afraid to try some things that maybe you knock you into a bit of an uncomfortable position. Um, but, uh, you know, just keep up the work, Anthony. Like, people notice. That's all. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And I hope we get to see the turtleneck uh, come I out want it in back. this playoffs. I want it back. We'll see what we do. Like, that is a mood. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Elliot. All right. Take care. You've been listening to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast. For news, opinion, and analysis, make sure to go to mapleleafshotstove.com and join the conversation.